0: Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive five hundred dollars off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE. This is Dr. Karen, and you are listening to the De facto Leaders Podcast. Where I help pediatric therapists and educators become better leaders so they can make a bigger impact with their services. With over 15 years of experience supporting school-age kids with diverse learning needs, I'll share up-to-date evidence-based practices, my own experiences, and guest interviews designed to help clinicians, teachers, and aspiring school leaders feel more confident in the way they serve their students and clients. I'll cover a range of topics designed to help you support students' emotional and academic growth and set kids up for success in adulthood, including how to support language, literacy, executive functioning, as well as how to help IEP teams working together to support kids across the day. Whether you want to learn more effective strategies for your therapy sessions or classroom, be a more influential leader on your team, or find creative ways to use your skills to advance in your career, I've got you covered. Hey everybody, it's Dr. Karen, and welcome to episode 111 of the DeFacto Leaders Podcast. In this episode, I have special guest Lisa Navarra from Child Behavior Consulting. Lisa has many years of experience as a special ed teacher and a consultant to school districts. What she does is help districts to really get to the bottom of those external behaviors that we see and put supports in place that help students self-regulate. So in this interview, we get into a number of really important topics, especially the idea of, you know what can we do to support the entire school staff? Lisa has done some training, not just with teachers, but also with some of the other staff who interact with kids. So the bus drivers, the security guards, so that everyone's on the same page as far as how to help kids self-regulate. We also get into a really interesting conversation about stimming. Obviously we know that some kids need to stim in order to be regulated and to be able to focus and do their work. But if you work in a school, you know that sometimes teachers may report that students are disrupting the class and they're not able to do their work because they're doing things that are distracting them or other students. And so we talk about how to parse those things out how to help kids get what they need, and also keep in mind how it's impacting the rest of the class, and really how to help kids learn to advocate for what they need and learn strategies so that they can be more functional and successful with whatever they want to do. Obviously, a huge part of this conversation is about putting executive functioning support in place in the schools. And so I wanted to share a free guide that you can download to learn exactly what the roles are for everybody who is in that K-12 setting, including the students and the parents. Everyone plays a role in supporting executive functioning, but it may look different depending on whether you are a therapist, a teacher, an administrator, a teaching assistant, or whether you are the student or the parent. So I walk through how to do that and what everyone's role is in my free executive functioning implementation guide. To check out that guide, you're going to want to go to DrKarenDudekBrandon.com backslash EFSchools. Again, that's DrKarenDudekBrandon.com backslash Schools. Now, please enjoy this interview with Lisa Navara. Right, today I am here with Lisa Navara from Child Behavior Consulting. So thank you so much for being here with me today. Oh i I can't wait to talk with you, Dr. Karen. So I thought we could just start off by having you tell us what what was is your experience, what do you do, and t- just tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, I think everybody sort of has a journey. Well, not sort of, but we actually all have a journey that leads us here today, right? So Mm -hmm. I've been in education for over 25 years. And my first year that I started as a teacher of what was then classified as students who were emotionally disturbed, I said, oh my goodness, I am not ready for this. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what I was doing. School did not prepare me, but the sad part about it was that there was really nobody around me that was able to help me to learn how to help these children, what we call now Mm self-regulate. You know, we didn't hear anything about this self-regulation thing. We didn't hear about this working memory or executive functioning. Um, But in the classroom, I was stuck with all these symptoms, if you will,
0: Yeah.
1: How children were acting out or internalizing what they were thinking and how they were feeling. And I didn't know what to do. So I basically dove into a whole lot of research. And the second year I wasn't tenure and the second year I'm like, okay, I want to share what I've learned, although it's not a lot, but it's more than I knew because it was like a crash course. It was like I was hazed in a sorority or something. Yeah. And like that so I had asked all the other teachers in that particular district if they would come along with me to teach a workshop on just what we know and unfortunately I was turned down by all of them but I had it (laughs) yeah
0: your second year as a teacher yes wow
1: anyway I had it anyway and it was for an hour and it was a workshop That um, people just, you know, I volunteered and people came and there was about 15 people. And I am so glad to this day that I did. And the reason being is that there was, um, it was actually a math consultant and she was maybe outside of three years to retire. Okay. And she came to me and said, Lisa, I never considered a few things that you had said. Like one of them was, you know, when you're talking with a child, notice what the other children are around are doing behaviorally because they're recognizing how you're speaking, how that interaction is going with that particular child. Mm -hmm. I did something with puppets and she used it for her dad who was actually in the hospital. So it was so impactful um, that the next year um, I did a formal uh, workshop for like credits and all that. And it just really, honestly, Karen, it just kept on going But I kind of got bored. I I felt like I need more. I need to do more. I need to change. Um, So I did. I I changed my grades. And so underneath my belt, I've taught from pre-K through actually college, with the exception of middle school, where I consulted as a behavior specialist. So. Um, Throughout the journey, I became a behavior specialist. I wrote behavior plans and whatnot. And I liked the consulting job. But again, it kind of like tapped itself out. And I think because it was the consultation piece and the training piece. Like, we need to be trained. We need not just to say, okay, let's make a plan. But holistically as districts, I think that we really need specific training and then take these plans and and be, and run with them. I know when you and I had spoken for my podcast, Mm -hmm. um, we had said that, you know, you can have the best plan, but if you don't understand the strategies that go around implementing that plan, it's going to fail. So um, that was, that was fine. And then they accessed the position and they put me back into the classroom. It had been 10 and a half years. So I knew nothing of the curriculum anymore as a teacher, as, an ed, as a special educator, right? I was, I was always the outside looking in, in that regard. But on top of having to learn that and not being trained, it was no child left behind, which means that they said to you, okay, you're teaching special ed, second grade. These are the only materials that you're getting. But my students were on the kindergarten, first grade level, falling out of their seats. I even I even kept it's like a box of like a white box of like 500 pencils that they lost by Christmas time. I'm like, how do you lose these pencils? So this is kind of where we were at in terms of being able to regulate in every which way you could think possible. Mm -hmm. But let's add a little bit more on top of all that. They gave me the teacher assistant nobody wanted. Because he would undermine the efforts of behavior management and whatever else you were trying to do as an educator. And of course, um, they gave me every student who was considered to be behavioral because Lisa was a behavior specialist and she can handle it. So that's what one administrator had told another. So um, guess what? I was back to doing crying, like a
0: new teacher. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, what do I do? This was a self, a special ed class then. So it was, they were in the special ed setting for the majority of their day.
1: Yes, well, second grade, so it was all day unless it was, um, you know, speech, if it was even speech, but, uh, you know, music, phys
0: ed, Mm -hmm. art. So those things they would go out for, but for the core academic subjects, you were their primary teacher. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's interesting how sometimes... It's if you have a certain area of specialization, it's great, but then it's like, oh, you can just, you know, since you're good at this, you can do all of this. And really with that kind of thing, everybody needs to be on board with what the strategies are. So I thought it was interesting. um, And I know that you do a lot with, with conflict resolution and all of those things. And I wanted to get into some of that because I know that you don't just think about the teachers. You think about everybody in the building that is interacting with the kids. But some of the things that you mentioned with the idea of, you know, you have, schools will do the behavior plan. And it's like, if this happens, here are some things laid out that we can do. And here's how we can, you know, keep an eye on the situation beforehand to make sure that we're setting the stage for students to be calm. And then here are the things that we can do after the fact, if we need to deescalate. But A lot of times I think, well, and I think that when people criticize just the idea of a behavior plan, one of the main criticisms I've heard is, well, you're just focusing on what's going on externally. You're not really focusing on the skills that are behind whatever it is that you're seeing the quote behaviors. So can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. I
1: think it's a certain mentality. So there's a couple of things there. So when it comes to a behavior plan, it's it really is oftentimes I found that teachers look at it as I just need to keep data so that way I, that child can finally get the services, which I can't provide within this setting. Um, instead of seeing it as I'm trained, I have the information and the skill set to be able to implement it with the understanding of it's not so much being able to perform a task but really being able to set up the groundwork and the environment for that particular student to learn specific skills to be able to perform that overall task. So let me give you a little example. Okay. So um, for instance, I am consulting currently in a preschool and the teacher said to me, okay, how do I get this child to wash his hands calmly, not make a mess and then run away from the sink, you know? And the same thing she asked me, he talks so loud. Is there any way we can get him to like tone it down a little bit, you know? Mm -hmm. And I tried to explain to her, she was very receptive. And I said to her, it's not so much about the task of washing hands. It's slowing him down and raising his self-awareness. Which is really building his ability to self regulate. I had to explain that because it's a different way of viewing our role as an educator. And when I say educator, Karen, I mean anybody really who's working with children because we're teaching and we're modeling always. So, with that, we can see okay, I need to get this done. So, this is what they need to do to reach that objective or that goal. But if we can also integrate and infuse a line of thinking, I need to support and promote the child to be able to control or manage his or her thoughts, feelings, and actions. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Now I'll be able to reach those objectives and goals. So I said to her, I said, all right, well, we need to slow him down. And explaining to him is just simply not enough. Modeling to him is good, but it doesn't give him the strategies of being able to slow down himself. Mm -hmm. So when I introduced it to him, we said, all right, we're going to count. We'll count to 10. And listen, something like that, you might have to adjust it. If 10's too long, maybe five. If he doesn't know how to count to 10 because this is a preschool example, we make it lower. We do the ABCs, whatever it is. 10 did work. But counting was set the structure. But breathing at the same time was helping him to be able to see and know how to slow down real time. So what I, what I had taught him prior in, in the class as well is to breathe with smelling the flowers. Well, he likes butterflies. So now we use butterflies. So he smells the butterflies and blows out the candles. And if your listeners can't see us right now, I have a breathing ball that's really easy to get and the kids absolutely love it. And we open it on the inhale and we close it on the exhale. And by combining the ability to see visually how to breathe along with staying structured and counting, it really slowed him down. To the point where the teacher was able to do it for the rest of the week, even like without me going, because I just go, that's just part of what I do. So Mm -hmm. uh, without me going to reinforce it. So it's, you see, it's the ability to understand we need to teach self-regulation strategies and awareness and self-awareness to be able to reach those goals or those even objectives within those behavior plans as well. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, obviously we're talking a lot about executive functioning here and the self-regulation piece, but really just teaching students to pause, reset, check in with themselves, you know, look around the room, read the situation and also just feel what's going on in their bodies or whatever, whatever's going on in those situations to just get themselves to think about you know, what's going on. Is that kind of where you're going with that?
1: Exactly. Yes. Because I don't think they can be one without the other. And I think that with education now, we need to have that paradigm shift and being able to see things differently.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just what people don't realize is that obviously all these skills, like there are steps to washing your hands. You, you need to teach them the steps, but you're not going to pay attention to the steps if you don't remember to just kind of pause, reset, and check in with yourself at various times. Right. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He was just rubbing his hands together and then running off to go for snack with a big mess around him. <laughs> you mm. know, So that's just, um, you know, just one example, the same thing with the volume. If you have an objective, if, if there's a, a student who's calling out often and that's on the behavior plan, you want to find out the function. Why, you know, is it for attention? Is it for avoidance sensory reasons? Um, And if you're not quite sure why sometimes testing out different environments or testing out and just really um, noticing how your interaction or the interaction influences the behavior of that particular student um, can really give you some clues into your next step into how to address those behaviors. And again, it has to do with raising that self-awareness of, okay, I'm making a lot of loud noises in class and people are looking at me funny. Maybe I don't care or maybe I do care. So knowing how we, or the, the teaching the student, how they actually can influence the environment too and teaching them that by just showing them, uh, just gently, not in a punitive way, but just, it could be in a happy way. It could be when they're positive about something and showing them something about, um, wow, you know, you're smiling and look, somebody next to you is, is laughing because they're having a good time being with you. You know, it's it's that kind of awareness that's very helpful in those situations as
0: well. Yeah. I think, you know, I wonder if you have encountered this as well, where, um, and I think that I heard this from, I think it was Tara Brock, who's a, a meditation, uh, she's a, a meditation expert, but this Obviously, we might not necessarily be talking about meditation with preschoolers. Maybe we are on a different level. But just the idea of that it's not necessarily about doing the thing right and perfect. It's about noticing when your mind is wandering. And this, she uses this in the context of meditation where some people are like, I'm supposed to be meditating. My mind is supposed to be clear. And everyone is going to notice that their mind is wandering. Nobody is going to sit down and be able to do that, but it's that you notice and bring yourself back. And same with kids where with the self-awareness is it's not that you want to perfectly wash your hands for 20 seconds and clean up the sink perfectly and walk with perfect speed and not make any noise. It's just that there's that awareness piece and that the awareness has to come first do you find that sometimes people are focused too much on that end task and not those other little things to get there that are actually that's, marks of progress? That's exactly what I was saying. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right.
1: Yeah. And that's where the paradigm shift in education to be able to see our role in what we need to support first, especially now after COVID. And yeah. which is, I believe, has exasperated already existing conditions for many students.
0: Yeah. So yeah. I Thanks. think our role is changing. hmm So I know you do a lot with conflict resolution. What are some of the things when people hire you to do a conflict resolution training? What are some of the things that they're struggling with? And why are they bringing you in?
1: Well, it depends on who it is. So I yeah. work for bus companies, right? I, I teach... Um, and I educate bus drivers. I work with the supervisors. I work with their driver assistants, their monitors, and and such like that. And a lot of times, it's basic communication strategies to be proactive. Same thing um, when I have when I work with parents, and whether it be through parent workshops or individually with their with their child. And some of those communication strategies come with proximity, which is so powerful people don't even realize it the way that how close or how far away we are or what we do with our body language sends anywhere depending on what kind of research you're looking at sends anywhere from 60 to 90% of your message with no words um and then also teaching explicitly behavior specific praise so i really like the way when you ask me a question, I see that you're listening because you're looking at me, and and sometimes you even say back to me what I'm what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. you know, and really just using restatement and certain kinds of um, techniques. So they're coming to me for um, kids who aren't listening, they're not focused, they're hyperactive, they're not organized. So I really go through first. It's understanding uh a lot of it is what they can do what they struggle with what their strengths and where that awareness is but not just the awareness within the own child but the awareness of the adult working including security guards right so yeah. when i train security guards it's the same thing it we have this we need the same type of communication strategies that we need in whatever educational setting that we're teaching children so those are some of the reasons and some of the um, approaches that I take when educating
0: others. So those are the things that they're, you know, the hyperactivity. So again, the very external things that we know are just probably, they're not really the problem. That's just what's going on on the outside. When you're working with, uh, let's see, so you said security guards, bus drivers. I remember when I was in the schools that there were certain students that We'd always hear like, "Oh, this happened on the bus," and you know, wh- whatever, whatever the situation was, and the bus drivers just not really knowing how to set things up or just really how to deal with those situations. So, what do you do? Like, if you're working with bus drivers who have students who, let's say that they had students who were in your class um, that needed certain supports in place. How do you teach them to provide that support on the bus, especially considering how overstimulating a school bus can be?
1: Well, you know, one of my goals is to help bridge the gap of communication between um, the bus drivers and schools. Because I know, and especially the minibuses, you know, for the the riders with special needs, mm-hmm. they want to know, they want to help these, these students but they just don't know a lot of times. So what I used to do, I mean, I don't do this anymore. That's um, that's kind of out of my immediate scope where I'm, where I'm more training now, but I used to work with the student and set them up for oh, okay. success on the bus. So, um, you know, I, I really was mindful in what are the factors on the bus to make sure that it's just providing a little bit of structure, so that way, it's a constant reminder of I can do this. I've mm-hmm. got this. I've got the strategies to be able to just have a happy, safe bus ride. Um, and also, it's teaching. Uh, I used to go onto the bus, and I used to say to the driver assistants, and I would say, okay, when, um, you know, Susie gets up out of her seat, takes her seatbelt on, I need you to do me a favor so that way she can focus, take Take your own breath, remind her to take a breath, ask her to focus, and then to please sit. Say it firm, but say it in a neutral tone of voice. And then I would also tell Susie, okay, this is how Jessica is going to help you to remember to sit down. So now everybody is on the same page of communication. There's a couple strategies there that are being reinforced in the classroom. But now extend it onto the bus.
0: Yeah, so it's it's a combination of front loading and teaching strategies, and then giving the people that are there, the adults, the information.
1: Yeah, it's important, and the kids appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes bus rides are hard. Yeah, just like sometimes their school days hard, and and the ride home is just a way to release it all.
0: The bus is just. I remember just dreading the bus when I was in elementary school. I was so happy when I went to high school and I could walk to school and I didn't have to be on there anymore.
1: It's so loud
0: and people, I mean, it's, I just, again, when I was a kid, I remember the, the bus driver. I mean, that's so many kids at a time that they're having to think about and then they have to drive at the same time. Yes. I just remember some bus drivers were really strict and they would be very terse. And I could see how certain people that could trigger you and it wouldn't get a great reaction. Whereas other bus drivers were really fun and they would goof around with the kids, which some people loved. But then it would get kind of out of control. And so if you were somebody that didn't want people throwing things on the bus or, you know, making a lot of noise, that would be really hard. So you know, and then that's how you start your day. If you're, you know, you start your day, you're on the bus and and then you get to school. And I mean, how many times have you had a, a child come in and they're already upset and you don't even know what happened. It's like, did something happen at home? Did something happen on the bus? And then you say one thing and then there's, you know, some kind of a, you know, <laughs> something where you need to deescalate and you don't even know what happened.
1: Right. And so I'm a big supporter of training and I really, I might change examples. I might, you know, tweak things a little bit according to needs and my, the target population of participants that I'm working with, but I'm a, my approach really is to educate everyone in the same types of proactive, really tier one type of, Hmm. of skills and strategies I wanted
0: to take a quick break here and share a free resource that you can download that's going to walk through everyone's role in the process when it comes to supporting executive functioning for K-12 kids. So in this conversation, we're talking about self-regulation, and that falls under the umbrella of executive functioning. Being able to self-regulate is really important to being able to execute on goals, whether it be short-term goals or long-term goals. But understanding your role in the process and how to sell this to your school administration, if you are someone who is working in a school and you wanna get your team on board, is no small task. And that's why I've created the free executive functioning implementation guide. So I'm not only going to share what everyone's role is. I'm also going to give you some research and information about why executive functioning is so important and why it ties back to a lot of the things going on in the schools today. So things like mental health, social skills, and of course, classroom management. So to download that free guide, you're going to want to go to drkarendudekbrandon.com backslash Schools. Again, that's drkarendudekbrandon.com backslash Schools. Now let's get back to the interview. What do you do? What do you tell people for things like body language and just tone of voice? I imagine that that's something that people might do that could feel threatening to kids without realizing it. Mm-hmm. Like, what kinds of things do you work with people in that area?
1: Oh, I love body language because you know what I, 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 I love and <clears throat> I, I love facilitating workshops and and working with people. So we end up usually having a really good time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the body, you know what I mean. So yeah. the body language, I can when you can connect with people pretty quick, then you can use the body language like on the spot. And they don't and they don't get insulted. They're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I just did that. You know, which is real time learning and then take it into it when you see students do that. You know, Okay, so for instance. I'll combine both of your questions in terms of how we use our voice and uh, body language. So something that I do to be encourage others to be aware of what's called paraverbal verbal communication, how we use our voice and the words that we use. Um, I'll ask them, you know, tell me something you say often, like too often. Mm-hmm. And if it's on the bus, it's usually sit down. If it's in the classroom, it's usually, let's just say, be quiet or start your work. Right. So, um, you want to give me one,
0: you want me to roll with it. Go, go ahead. Like, what's something right. that's come up for you that um, somebody said to you?
1: Okay. So something that someone has said to me was, let's say, um, sit down. So I will instruct them to just say those two words. No more, no less. And you'll
0: be surprised, number one, how many people want to add words oh, or yeah, take away. I what you're saying. Yeah, I wasn't really sure. Sh- I do a lot of vocal fillers. Um, that's my thing. And it makes it wordier, you know, um likes, you know, too many adverbs. I do all of that. (laughs) (laughs) So you have self-awareness. Very good. (laughs) I mean, I don't always catch it right in the moment, but but yeah. Okay. So you're saying be concise. So not only
1: concise, yes, clear, concise, intentional, yes. But what I'll do is I'll give out little cards and on those cards have a way in which they are to deliver their message. Through their volume of their voice, their their um their rhythm, like how fast. Okay. Um and also different techniques and including body language.
0: Okay. So yeah. Yeah.
1: let's say I say, um, you tell me how I'm how I'm feeling, right? And you're you're in my class and you're Karen. You're Karen, you know what I mean? All right. You might know what I mean by the way I just said Karen. So, <laughs> yeah. so what if I say? And and now for your listeners who are watching, this will be easier, um, or not even easier, but an added layer. Sit
0: down. So now, how did I sound to- at the screen saying "sit down," sticking the finger in the face? Yes. <laughs> and what did I do with my voice? Yeah. So it was definitely more, um, yeah. It was <laughs> down. It was firm. Mm-hmm.
1: And what happened at the end of that word well, down?
0: So you're talking about inflection too. Yes. Yeah.
1: It went down, right? So, so was I happy with you?
0: Obviously not.
1: <laughs> no, I was not happy with Karen. <laughs> right. But okay, here we go. Now I'm going to play a supportive role. Okay. First, I need to take a deep breath because I know Karen sometimes has difficulty staying in her seat and I didn't sleep well last night. So let me take a breath for my own calm mind and calm body. Okay, great. Now I'm ready to give a directive. Sit down.
0: Yeah. Ask. Okay, was I pointing? Nope.
1: Now this time was I smiling or was, was my face all crinkled up?
0: Yeah, smiling. So Right, definitely lighter. I I know exactly what you mean. I I can think of many many scenarios that came up. Yeah. You do <laughs> exactly. have to self-regulate yourself as well. How often yes. are there times when um so with this with the sitting thing. I know that this is a, a thing that gets debated sometimes where it's like do we need to make kids sit? You know, like are there times where you find that you have to get to the root of what's really the most important thing here? Is it important that they're sitting or do you want them to do something else? Is it okay if they're standing at their desk or or doing whatever? Like, do you have to talk through that with teachers sometimes? Great question.
1: Absolutely, yes. Um, so the first thing is some students and children, they really need to let out some energy, mm-hmm. but <clears throat> that could become a behavior management issue pretty quickly if you're not strong in behavior management yourself Mm -hmm. or use your proximity or use your paraverbal communication Mm -hmm. um, or your body language to say, okay, you know, we need to slow down. So what I say to them is if a particular child is not becoming disruptive to others and they can keep that calm mind and calm body, or you can help support that, then allow it if they're on task. So let me give you an example, I have two little examples. So today I was doing a push-in program. It was a second grade class, and it was on the cognitive skill of perception. And so we went through what perception is, and then we did a project at the end. Now, this is a class that I wasn't familiar with this particular child. I've pushed in a couple of times with different programs, but I don't know the children individually. So there's this, everyone's sitting, but there's this one boy standing. And I really took a look at how he was standing. Was it disrupting anybody else? Was it disrupting him? And was he getting his work done? Mm -hmm. Because there was a worksheet that goes along with our project that we were doing for perception. And he was on task. So my advice to teachers who are maybe a little hesitant, is use that behavior specific praise during those situations. And you could say to keep things contained and productive, I really appreciate the way that even though you're standing, you are on task, you're working quietly, and look at the table, the other kids are working too. Thanks for being a good team player or whatever you might want to say. Yeah. But you're being specific about what you're seeing and what's working.
0: Yeah, I think that part's really important. And the other thing, too, is that, you know, like maybe maybe it is good to point out that, oh, maybe you work better when you're when you're standing up. Maybe you sometimes need to take a break and stand and sit. And I mean, even pointing that out, because I think sometimes kids don't understand that or they don't necessarily know how to get their needs met, what helps them focus to point out something like that. Like, Oh, you know, look at that. You're sitting on a a yoga ball or you're standing up and you're doing X, Y, Z or whatever it is that you want them. That's good.
1: <laughs> yeah. Do the opposite. You, you know, we, we be in tune. And, and so many teachers and parents really are in tune with their kids. But also realize that sometimes those students aren't always in tune with themselves. Yeah. And knowing that we can reverse it, like you said, and say, Do you want to stand? Yeah, you know what I do. But now inside you might be like, oh, did I make a mistake? So you can set your boundaries, set your limits, or really what it is is your expectations, not rules, but yeah. expectations. Okay, when you stand, what is it that you need to be doing? I need to do my work. Great. Okay. How does your body need to be? It needs to be calm. Okay. If I see that you're getting, your body is getting a little excited. Do you mind if I come to you and remind you to take a breath because your body needs it? Okay. So now you're setting up the structure and for success. So if it doesn't work, you could totally bail
0: and you could say, you know, we're going to try again next time. Why don't you go sit down?
1: Right? What so it's are a your,
0: oh, yeah. Yeah. What are your thoughts on when, um, so when you're saying keep your body calm, and some kids might, you know, if they're stimming or something like that, um, how do you educate people on when it might be in a child's best interest to just let them do something, even though it's not what everyone else is doing? Um, what, How do you draw the line there where it's, okay, your calm body or your productive doing what you're supposed to be doing might look different than someone else's
1: right that's a really sensitive good question you know first of all you have to weigh how much is it that the behavior is something that they need compared to something that they're used to doing Mm -hmm. and also really teaching the strategies for the breathing so that way you can support that child to let out and release their energy, if they need to, and then get back to where they want to be, mm-hmm. because sometimes, especially children who stim or who are really sensory oriented, they 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 have that urge and they need to get it out. But sometimes yeah. they don't know how to turn it around and bring it back down. And yeah, focus. so there's that fine line. So it's it's teaching and and you know it's really. Modeling, that's what's honestly, that's really what's so great about these push in programs is that I'm modeling to the teacher how to use these strategies real time. First time I've been meeting a lot of these kids and watching it work. And so that modeling is really such a powerful way to show how some of these strategies work. And it's
0: really not that hard. You're saying, um, so you're modeling or you're to the teachers how to do it?
1: Yeah. So let's say um, I'm reading one of Henry's stories and I'm walking around. I'm doing my proximity. I'm I'm not saying that this is your class. I expect them to sit perfectly. I'm like, no, I want to see them for who they are. So now I'm walking around after I've done the whole class breathing I tell them that just because we're breathing together doesn't mean that you need to. And I'm going to remind you if your body needs a breath. So as I'm reading the story and teaching those strategies to self-regulate that they can use within that classroom setting as well as home, I'm modeling it for kids. Sometimes I'm I'm just looking at them or I'm doing the motion of the breathing and then the breathing, giving thumbs up. So I'm actually modeling as I'm teaching that self-regulation strategies. Mm-hmm. That's the most effective way to show that it works. And then what I do is I always incorporate the whoever I'm working with, whether it's the parents through interactive components of the workshops or the teachers. So they're making up their anchor chart. I'm asking them questions. So, can you help us out with this? What some challenging things that happen that you know some of your students need to launch through cognitive engagement? You know, and so that's the most effective way. And then while kids sometimes are working, we get to chat for a moment and say, "What do you think? You know, did you learn anything?" Or usually they'll come up to me and say, "Oh, wow, it really worked." I said, "Yeah, go try it." You know, Uh, and so that's been the most effective way to really break through that. I don't know, this is too much or not another thing, or I don't Mm -hmm. really understand it.
0: Yeah. So modeling for the staff, would you say it's really when you are working with kids and trying to sift through that where it's just helping them to explore different options to get their needs met. So they have a lot of different options for meeting their sensory needs. And then also just the idea um, like you were saying with the, with the sitting where it's like, you know if the child is not disrupting, if they're 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 learning they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, and it's not hurting anything that it's like, okay, we can work with this versus you're not able to complete something and learn a skill that you need, and it's something that could be distracting other people and all of those types of things with the stimming thing so there's a fine
1: there there is a fine line, and it's really getting to know your students and it comes to a period of observing them but not just observing them in your class or in your session. It's observing them in other areas. So I have a really great example, I think. Um, So I had this one boy, we'll call him Danny. And I observed Danny in the hallway. I observed Danny in special areas. And he um, used to take his pencil and throw it all the time and catch it and throw it and catch it and higher and higher and higher. I took a chance because I didn't know how much of it was stimming. And it turned out that he had the impulse to do this, but he took it to a whole nother level and a level that he didn't feel as good about doing as he did being able to get his work done. So teaching him an alternative way and feeling good about it for something meaningful, supported by that cognitive skill of being able to focus, helped to balance what I really honestly wasn't
0: sure. Is it sensory or we're just off task? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a really good example. We don't want to um, not let kids get their needs met, right. but then at the same time, how do you parse that out? And I think that it is really hard because, again, you want to be accepting and let kids, you know, feel regulated. But at the same time, I think that's also a good point that you made about how it's like, oh, you actually feel better when you have some kind of a, a cue to redirect yourself. And you get something done and you have a feeling of accomplishment and then you feel better afterwards and you can't get that feeling unless you just get over the hump. Right.
1: And that's not to say he didn't throw the pencil up ever. Yeah. But he was able to bring himself back. So I'll give you another example. Totally different with a boy on the spectrum. Uh, This one is in middle school and I had my therapy dog actually today. Oh, yeah. I was
0: going to ask you about that. Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so,
1: um, I have Rosie and Rosie. Hi, babe. She She's like, Whoa, what, mom? So, today was her debut at this new school, and um, it was an ungraded class. So, we had students who, I, this is the third time I was the fourth time I was there. We did, we read each story and uh, each program. And then it was Rosie. And so after the program, I took Rosie and we walked to each student. And there was a boy who was stimming a lot. He was really very excited. And you could tell that he was like, wanted to, he was very excited, wanted to pet her. But then got nervous and stimmed some more. And so he wasn't ready. So I reminded him to take a breath for a calm mind, calm body. I said, "You let me know," because I don't want to pet her. You know, in his own words, and so I said, "Okay, I'll tell you what. Take a breath, and I'll go around to the kids, and you either let me know if you want me to come back, or I'll come back and I'll ask you." And that's exactly what we did. And we walked around, and he did take that deep breath. And yes, he stemmed a little bit but he worked through it to get through what he wanted. And it was fine. It was fine if he wanted to just not petter and just stim. And that was okay. He mm-hmm. had that choice. Yeah. Um, you know? And, and so it's, it's, it's a fine line of what they're able, what I have found in my experience, what they're yeah. able to control, what they want to control and um, you know, releasing that energy too. Mm-hmm. What do you
0: think about that? I think, I mean, honestly, I think that, um, it, it is the same kind of thing where it's like, what is really the end goal? What are you trying to accomplish? But I do think that the impact on other people is, is important because that's something that it's, it's going to affect others, but it's also going to affect your relationship with others. Like if you're throwing your pencil and you're bothering the kids next to you, that's going to impact your peer relationships and then that's going to have a negative impact on you. So it is important to understand how your behaviors affect other people. But at the same time, if you do have sensory needs, then you need to understand what they are and so so maybe um you can explore different options for getting those needs met. Maybe you have that one thing that you're doing it like if you want to um you know, people will like to use a The fidget spinners were things that people used a lot. Um, I know that a lot of teachers didn't like those, but the hand flapping or just moving or rocking, um, those types of things where it's like, I think that for some kids, um, it's good to let people know that this is something that people might notice or they might not understand why you're doing it. So um, just giving them that choice of awareness of how how it looks to other people. And then they can decide if they want to do it or not, or if they want to try to explore different other options of like, maybe I run laps before I come to school. Or like, I know kids who would sometimes go on a sensory break and do laps around the gym. And then some of those, they didn't feel the need to do those things in their classroom as much. Again, when they did do it in their classrooms, it was like, okay, if it's you know not bothering everyone, mm-hmm. everybody's fine with it. It's you know we're we're doing what we need to do then then great but at the same time you do have to have that flexibility and keep coming back to it and I do I like um, that example that you gave with um, the boy who was throwing the pencil where it's let's try something and see what happens and see yeah. like maybe maybe there's something that you can do to redirect yourself or get it met in another way I think you know what a key
1: component in it also is educating the other students about each other's
0: differences. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's important too.
1: Right? So that way, if there is some of that stimming, and it and it's and it's helpful for that particular student, then that's okay. You yeah. know, if there's, a, you know, a child stimming and clapping his hands, you know, or and you say, oh, my goodness, how are you feeling? Or maybe they're not able to say, are you, are you excited? Because you knew that, you know, that resulted from something that made them happy, right? Oh, yeah. my goodness, look. Susie, Johnny's so excited, you know, and that's their way of communicating. So it's bringing the other kids in and also just building that empathy from oh, the yeah. outside in the inside out. So everybody has a supportive way of just interacting with your
0: school family, really. Yeah, I think it does need to go both way, ways, like educating the other people in the environment, but then giving them the tools for self-advocacy, because even I mean, imagine if what if you are somebody that really does sometimes need to flap, you know, right. um, just knowing being, even just telling someone, this is just something I do, you know, I mean, just being yeah. able to say that directly. I know people who do that where they're like, you know what, I know that I, eye contact is overstimulating for me. So I'm paying attention to you, but I'm just not looking at you. I just want you to know that I'm still listening or something that's like it. that. Obviously that's something that. We have to model and we can't expect kids to do right away, but right. we can build it.
1: Right. And I think it's so important that we do that, especially now, because I know that there have been so many kids having difficulty relating not only to school, schoolwork and focusing, but to each other. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of our role now as educators and parents to really um, be able to communicate in that way. Yeah. To yeah. teach how to
0: communicate in that way, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, the self-advocacy is key because that can help with the awareness too and the acceptance, you know? Like, yeah, self-acceptance, self-concepts, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I know we're getting close to the top of the hour. So um, where can people find information about you, what you do and your resources that you offer? Absolutely, I'm everywhere. So
1: uh, you could go straight to my website. It's uh, childbehaviorconsulting.com. I have a podcast, too, Student Success Beyond Expectations. If you're interested in what I call author visits, that's what I was referring to with Henry and pushing in. Um, you could find all that information on Child Behavior Consulting, but I'm also on all the social media. And I think it's Lisa Navarra or L Navarra, E-D-U. You could put in Lisa Navarra and it should pop up or Child Behavior Consulting. And uh, you can always give me a call, 631-617-1958 if you have any questions. Great. And
0: we'll link to all that stuff in the show notes too.
1: Great. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for being here. This was wonderful. I'm glad to have this conversation with you today.
0: Thank you so much for listening. Remember to check the show notes for all of the information about where you can connect with Lisa, as well as learn about the books and services that she offers to support schools. Also, please remember to check out the Executive Functioning Implementation Guide that's going to walk through why executive functioning support is so important and what everyone's role is in the process if you are supporting K-12 kids. Again, to download that guide, you're going to want to go to drkarendudakbrandon.com backslash efschools. If you would like to be a guest on the show, or if you have a suggestion for a guest, please email me at talktome at I am always interested in connecting with people who are using their skills to lead others and make changes. Again, that's me at As always, thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next time.